Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today we have John Fowler, CIO of the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, which is very long and I will now refer to it as CDLR for the remaining part of this podcast. And we have Kenny Wright, Chief of Process Improvement at TDLR and Daryl Tompkins, CIO of the Texas Water Development Board. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate Thank it. you. Uh, Daryl, this is your second time coming on the podcast. It is. And I'm very thankful to be back. I appreciate it, Joe. Yeah. Enjoy it. Uh, just as a quick side note, it's been awesome to get to know uh, Daryl. I ran the Austin Half Marathon, which, fun fact, and you're like, these podcasts digress a lot. They really do. And so why it's funny to me is because in the morning, I started out in downtown Austin. This is like Congress and Third, something like that. And I hear, Joe, Tech Tables. And it's Meg from Accenture. And uh, she is, um, how do I put it? one really fit woman because she smoked me uh, and I ran the half and she ran the full and just three miles in or two miles in takes off. And then, uh, and then I was like looking at her time when she finished, I'm looking at my time when I finished and <laughs> I was just like laughing at myself. Um, so she's a fantastic runner, but that after ended after the half marathon ended, then Daryl came into downtown Austin and we went to a bar, which is fantastic. And, uh, and had a great relaxation. Because you got to drink after a marathon, yeah, right? I mean, you got. I was dehydrated. I really had to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really dehydrated. So, uh, John, let's kick off with you. For those who don't know you, a little bit of background uh, with TDLR. And if you want your previous. Yeah, I mean, I've only been at TDLR for about uh, 16, 17 months. So I can spell licensing now, but uh, I'm still still struggling with it a little bit. Part of that, uh, I was at the Texas Workforce Commission. Uh, ran the unemployment insurance system for the state of Texas. Uh, I guess my biggest claim to fame might be running that through the during the pandemic. Um, so I was there for 17 years. I heard somebody else say, I mean, I'm just, I'm not for sure how I ended up where I am. Uh, I never intended to be in state service. Uh, ended up taking a full-time job at TWC, you know, back in 04 and fell in love with public service. So I feel like uh, I'm where I need to be. TDR is a tremendous opportunity. Grateful to be working for Mike Harris Mendez or ED. Yeah, and shout out to Mike. Unfortunately, he could not make it today. He really wanted to. He came on the podcast. Um, just a great human being and um, highly recommend listening to that podcast. And uh, John's being uh, very humble right now because when he talks about the unemployment insurance, uh, unemployment claims, was like, what was it, $55 billion going out the door? Yeah, that's what the state paid out during the pandemic. Uh, in a normal year, to put it in context, it was probably 3 to $4 billion, So. Uh, it was like a, an entire legislative session about every three months. It, if you know anybody in the UI industry, they're they're exhausted. Kenny, thank you for coming down. I really appreciate it. This is fantastic. I love Kenny's tie. I mean, it's a fantastic. I love tie. it too. I, yeah, I won't steal the tie. I promise. But for those who don't know you, a little bit of background with TDLR and and kind of where you're at today. So a little bit of background. Um, I started with TDLR probably eight years ago. I initially was in the private sector. I worked for AT&T. I also worked for a small company called Genesis Network Integration Services. 
Um, and then I decided to transition into the uh, the public sector. Um, I wanted to spend more time, you know, raising my son, you know, working in, in the private sector. I rarely got to spend time with him and see him. And he was growing up really fast. And so I, I took a position at TDLR as their first uh, project manager in IT. And just over the years, I moved up the ranks to, to now being a part of the executive office as the chief process improvement officer. Awesome. Uh, Daryl, just a quick background on yourself. We do want everyone to listen to the first podcast, but yeah, just a little bit of background. Sure. So, well, first I'm a University of Houston alum, so go Cougs. And there was a lot, it was more basketball heavy earlier in the morning when we were talking kind of Final Four, but uh, it was sad to see U of H go out. But uh, really happy with what Kelvin Sampson is doing with that program. He's doing a great job. Also a huge Longhorn fan because I've spent the majority of my life there. This is why there. I'm so confused right now. Right? <laughs> I, I am. I spent most of my life in Austin. Uh, and so I was kind of pulling for both of them. But I think that they're really going in the right trajectory, both programs. So that's good. Um, but I, yeah, I went to a hotel and restaurant management program uh, at U of H. And um, so like John said and a lot of others said, I kind of just lucked into this. Um, I, I worked 20 years in um, the luxury hospitality industry for Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts. And through that time, I, I had an opportunity to get into IT. I kind of fell into it and uh, I loved it. And, uh, you know, great, great company, but uh, kind of similar to what Kenny was saying. I, I was looking for a more quality of life change at that point. And so, uh, so all of us have had staffing problems, selling point for working for the state, good quality of life. It's really nice. Um, so then I made the jump over to working for the state of Texas, the Texas Water Development Board. And uh, I'm currently the CIO there. And I'll, I'll have to say working for Four Seasons, like, you know, customer service, elite customer service is in my DNA. And I was honestly a little worried about that when, when I came over to working for the state. I'm like, gosh, how am I going to, how am I going to come across? How's this going to fit in? But I'll say that what I found there is a, a group of people that are incredibly passionate, uh, and, and deeply care about the mission of what we're doing. And so they, though it may not be a culture that was just set on around customer service because they care so much about the mission. And I think you see that in a lot of public sector uh, groups, it results in great customer service. So it, it ended up working out great. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. Um, in my earlier days, I worked at a, I worked at a hotel, so I definitely have that hospitality. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, John, Mike Aris Mendez, I know you're going to laugh at me, but I'm still going to say it. Yeah, don't say it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We on camera, right? Okay, cool. So Mike Aris Mendez, the executive director at TDLR, said you were a first round draft pick. Yep. Woo! No pressure. Some big words. Um, he said you understand the technical aspects and you talk in dummy terms. His words, not mine. Uh, in your last role, the Texas Workforce Commission, you were the Director of Application Development and Maintenance, where you managed a team, the unemployment insurance system, during the COVID pandemic to the tune of $55 billion. I'd love to dive into reflecting on your time there. What are maybe two or two to three lessons you learned from your experience that you're now taking back to or taking to TDLR? Well, I, I would echo what several people have said here today. <clears throat> First and foremost, the state is full of uh, dedicated, talented people. And uh, if... and Lots of agencies had to stand up and do a lot of amazing things during the pandemic. And uh, I had a fantastic team over there. And when people ask me, well, how's TDLR going? I say, great people, old systems. 
Um, and it's similar across many agencies within the state of Texas. That's first and foremost, though. So we have a, 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 have a great team at TDLR and a great team at TWC. Uh, secondarily is, I would say, we need to look for, we have to meet our customers where they are today. And um, I've had a saying forever uh, at TWC, which is, uh, got systems implemented in the 90s with 80s money and 70s mentality. Uh, and that's sort of what we live with and what we, uh, that's our challenge. And we're not meeting our external customers where they are today, nor our internal customers. And so, you know, we, we have to work and have systems that meet the speed of change of the world. Um, and so coupled with that, then the other biggest lesson is we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I, I, there are systems out there. We need to leverage uh, technology and partners and vendors and solutions that exist so that we're not starting from ground zero. Um, because today, that's a recipe for disaster for large custom-built systems that just doesn't happen anymore. So, Sounds like you're trying to navigate this next RFO a little bit. But, Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Everyone perked up now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kenny, so Mike sent this fantastic email about you. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Should I read it? No, please yeah. don't. Please, yes. please don't. My wife was like, you should read this. This is awesome. Who's Kenny? And I was like, yeah, I have to explain the background. But so I'm going to touch a little bit. He said, you've got a deep background in IT throughout your history. You and John are heading up the new licensing system project that will set the trajectory of the agency for the next 20 to 25 years. What makes this project so special when compared to some of the other projects that you've taken on in your career? No pressure at all. There's, there's none. Um, the huge difference for me, honestly, is the fact that it is affecting the constituents of Texas. It's the licensees that we're impacting. I think another big thing for me is that it is a project that we're focusing on our staff, our people, the folks that I have to look at every single day um, that are struggling with our current systems that we have in place right now. We have an opportunity this time around to develop a solution that will be will make things easier for them, that will make the processes more seamless. They always talk about all the manual processes that they have to deal with, all of the paper that they have to deal with. This is our opportunity to introduce some latest and greatest technology to hopefully make the job more seamless for them. I think that is the, the most important thing for me. Awesome. Um, there's another really big project going on. I'm plugging my own podcast episode. Okay. Yeah. So Dan Texar. Dan uh, came on the podcast and um, it was kind of a very similar thing of like these this legacy, getting rid of the paper and trying to modernize. Uh, at the Secretary of State's office. Thank you. Uh, short plug, there's over 130 episodes of podcasts. So you know, my brain is like mush by uh, 425 right now. Um, but yeah, no, it's and I don't know if you've had a chance to connect with Dan yet. I have. Okay, yeah. We Dan's have. absolutely fantastic. You've been to the Chili Parlor in Texas? Yeah. In Austin? I have been there. Yeah. Of course. That's where business gets done. Let me tell you, is that that Chili Parlor is, uh, I met with Dan and Tracy Cotton uh, and a few other folks. And, um, that's that's the business one. So, anyways, now again, podcast tangent. Uh, Daryl, I brought you in because I love the customer experience. Um, you got a lot of wisdom around, you know, finding solutions that fit the end user's needs. You, you know, you're big on empathy. In our first episode, we talked about how customer service and relationships are critical for building bridges that will, and being successful and to be successful in any organization. You talk about the importance of anticipating customer needs and providing solutions before the customer asks for them. Well, I mean, that that is, I think, the ultimate in customer service experience. Like that, obviously, that's the space you would like to operate in. But I mean, 
it's it's impossible to operate in that space all the time, right? You you want to would love to get some wins at that level, where you're a- anticipating um, what somebody wants and needs and offering it up as either a solution or a suggestion before they even mention it. But man, that is very very hard. It's very hard to do that and. You know, there's been a lot of great conversations today about everything we struggle with when it comes to staffing and just how busy we are and being and, and understaffed. And so it's it's hard to to get yourself, you know, out of the daily operations grind and out of the, the weeds to to at least for me. Right. To spend enough time with with the business areas or the, the customers to, to really get a firm grip on what it is that they're going through and try to bridge that gap to say how, you know, with our technology experience and what we know, how can we translate that into some sort of a technology solution that's going to make their lives better and present it to them. Um, like I said, without them, without them having to come forward with, Hey, I saw this thing online. I think it would be a great idea to do this. And and sometimes those work out and sometimes they don't, but it, it, Yes, I think that is where we would all love to be is operating at that level. Um, but it's not easy. I mean, it's really it's, it's challenging. So I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, you, there's that story that you wanted to tell, right? We can tell it. I want to tell it. Okay. I'm going to tell it. So, yes, I, I mean, I failed you last time. I failed tech tables uh, in our first I guess, discussion, because you had asked me kind of off the cuff about uh, a customer, a good customer service example from my time at the Four Seasons. And gosh, there have been so many, but at the time, I'm just like drawing a blank. I'm like, oh my God. And then as soon as we ended, these are coming back to me. And I'm like, I can't believe I didn't tell this, right? I didn't tell this. So one story that I thought was really cool was at the time, there was an all-female country and Western band very popular at the time, maybe not as popular anymore, right? But at the time, incredibly popular. Um, they've changed their name. Um, I, even though I don't work at the Four Seasons anymore, I still will not just come out and say a name. But they were staying there at in one of our like conference rooms, boardrooms, and they were actually just doing logistics for for their tour, like I think figuring things out. And they had a technology issue, and I couldn't remember if it was they were having problems printing to their printer, or and this was like a while ago, like a long time ago, or an internet issue. So I was up there, and at the time, one of the members was pregnant. Um, and as I was up there, she just made a comment like, man, I'm, I'm craving Krispy Kreme donuts and Gatorade right now. So, you know, I finished what I was doing, and I left, and first thing I did was I ran out, and I bought Krispy Kreme donuts and Gatorade, right? And I took it up there and they were just blown away by that, right? They were just like, oh my God, I can't believe that you took note of that and that you did that. And so like the point of that story is not to say, oh, I did a great thing, but it was the culture that Four Seasons had established that I think has all the employees that feeling like compelled and empowered and inspired to to go and do that, right? I'm the IT guy, right? So that you wouldn't think that has nothing to do with me, but everybody that works there like functions at that level from customer service. So I'm sorry that that story didn't come to mind the first time when we were talking, but I thought that was a good story. Yeah, it, sometimes just little things, right? Just being aware, Krispy Kreme and Gatorade, 
that's like a sub ten dollar seriously like that's like a sub t- sub ten dollar act yeah uh so thank you for sharing that story um and uh, i actually love getting kind of creative stories from other leaders um just about what they do and how you know it could be krispy kreme and donuts or krispy kreme i want donuts uh, it could be krispy kreme and uh you know gatorade um before we jump to kind of the audience q a uh, John, I want to give you uh, an opportunity to maybe talk about the RFO if you want to touch on that um, as far as how much public information that you want to give or not give. I think that's like Fight Club. First rule is not talk about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, I mean, but in terms of for TDR to what Kenny said, I mean, this is a fundamental chance for when agencies finally get funding uh, and the state has lots of money this year. And so... Uh, it's a chance to fundamentally base rebaseline the products and services you deliver. And so for TDLR, it's an opportunity for us, as I mentioned, to meet our customers, ex- external customers, where they are today. Uh, and for us internally, it's an opportunity for us to fundamentally change the way we develop and deliver services for IT. And we have to do that um, because you can't, you can't produce a lot of stuff today because a lot of the technologies, we can't move at a pace because the technologies we have don't support that pace uh, and the culture uh, as well. And so it's an opportunity to actually change that entire mindset. Uh, Manny Crawford uses the term legacy mindset. Uh, people, ha- I used to be offended by the term legacy, but they are they're old systems. And not only do we have technical debt, we have technical process debt. So we have, you know, we've got process debt that we have to, the whole thing, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And we have to change that both on within IT and within the business divisions of TDLR. Our licensing director in a meeting earlier this week said inconsistencies for us equal inefficiency. And I would and that's the same in IT. If I can't continue to provide services at the same level consistently, I'm not doing it efficiently. But when everybody's been doing their own kingdom, fiefdom sort of thing, uh, it's hard to overcome that and convince them that we're not all rowing the boat in the same direction. And once we start doing that, the small things, yes, are going to be a little bit slower, but overall we're going to be faster. So that's, that's what we're shooting for. Love it. And no fight club. Yeah. But to like, just to the RFO question, I just, I would love to give a shout out to our awesome public sector vendor community. And I know you do a great job of doing that because, um, they are an amazing support network for us and what we're trying to do. And I mean, it, it's humbling and it's an honor to be here with such a, a great, uh, magnificent, talented group of, of leaders and, and vendor partners. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Daryl. Um, we'll get the mic. Uh, who has not asked a question yet? So for John and Daryl and Kenny as well, right? As you, as you guys are going into, I'm specifically interested as you guys are going into these big projects, not just from TDLR, but from Water Development Board as well, the CIO and the IT leader and the project leader's role in organizational change management. So you guys are doing some fundamentally big things at both of your respective agencies, right? Especially with TDLR, but you've you know, got a lot of stuff coming down too. So what is your role impacting and making sure the organization, right, receives these new systems and reacts to change, embraces change. So what is what is each of your respective roles in organizational change management? We need to do a better job of that, personally. Like, And, and I, I don't think it's talked about enough of the importance of having good processes and, and change processes and 
things in place to make sure when you are implementing a significant change that it's done smoothly. And I, I you know, I can tell you from where I sit, I, we have a lot of opportunity for improvement in that area. Um, Cause you're right. When you, when you're doing something big, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges is getting that, getting the right buy-in, making sure you're communicating, uh, you know, consistently and effectively to everybody about the why and what is going to happen and getting the training and just, it's, it, it's the most important part of be, making sure that it's successful when you launch it. Cause that's so many times it just gets launched and there's not enough focus on that. And so I, I do not have the answer for you except to say, I agree that it's incredibly important and we need, we need to make improvements in that area. So I just teed it up to you cause you probably have a better answer. Well, I've, I don't know. We could be here for a while. Um, we have the room for a couple more. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Actually, uh, don't make it too long because I need Cindy to come on at five. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, you know, well, change is always hard. I mean, like if you go with the rule of thirds, a third of the people love change. They're sick. Uh, those people, I don't, they got a fundamental d defect. A, th a third of the people. Yeah, well, a third of the people are just going to do whatever, but a third of the people are going to hate it. And so you have to find your champions you ha and you have to communicate. Um, you have to make things easy. Um, but, and you can't allow people to have both sides of the fence. You can't have, and you have to point it out to them, there are obvious uh, inconsistencies in that on one side they want to say it takes forever to get anything done here. And then as soon as you say, okay, well, then we're going to make a change. We're going to go improve this. They'll say it'll never work. I said, well, you can't have both sides of the argument. You can't tell me it's impossible to get something done. And then as soon as we want to improve it, you say it'll never work. Well, we have to at least try. And so, and I will say one great thing about TDLR, there is a, a culture of you, you, there are things you can try. Let's go out and try something. Let, you're safe to fail. Let's take limited risk where we can and let's try something. And so you have to make those opportunities when you take those opportunities when you can. Now for larger projects, I mean, there's some additional things. And one of the main things, and Kenny and I have talked about this, I mean, if you, we want a, a vendor partner that supplements and complements our capabilities because we don't have a lot of those today. And so we have to find somebody that complements those things for us and come along um, because we know that we have certain weaknesses and weak spots. And so if we, we can find somebody else that can help accommodate those things, then uh, it'll lay the groundwork for a, a, a better overall solution. Okay, so this is great. I, I just want to pick, I just want to ask a follow up question and just a layer. What qualities are you looking for in a vendor partner specifically for TDLR? Wow, man, you are really hitting them up on the vendor stuff. Can I do that? Yeah. So, in in terms of vendor partner, in terms of vendor partners, in all honesty, um, right now we're we're looking for someone that can help us recognize what we're lacking within our within our organization in terms of resources in terms of individuals that specialize in certain areas of the business so in regards to your the question about change management um, we recognize and, and Mike Ares Mendez has recognized the need that we need someone to to help us shepherd us through the change process so I've received my certification from ProSci and change management um, I have a member of my team that's also certified from ProSci as well and, and so we're trying to do pulse surveys which 
which basically are ad car surveys to get an idea of what people are, are thinking and feeling in terms of their ability, ability to be aware of the change, desire the change, know about the change. Um, and so we're trying to get to that point where we're able to, to shepherd all of our staff along with this project. Um, but we really do need assistance in terms of the other areas. We're looking for, for support in terms of IVNV support. You know, there will be an RFO out for that as well. And, and, and we're also looking for support from the uh, procurement side, procurement assistance. And so there will be an RFO that's going to go out for that as well. This is an amazing opportunity for TDLR. Um, I am very appreciative to our legislature uh, for, for allocating these funds to help us develop the latest and greatest system of record for, for TDLR. And so we are going to do our darndest to do our best to make sure that we build the most optimal system possible for our constituents as well as our staff. Anything else? No. I mean, we, we will – I mean, in terms of generic qualities and solution, I mean, you say – been we probably couldn't get into that, but I mean, in terms of there are licensing the functionality that TDLR supports for the state of Texas, we touch. I mean, if you go to a gas pump, if you get your hair cut, uh, we license a number. We license people, places, and things. But licensing is a domain, and there are solutions that exist in the world, so we don't have to start from ground zero. So a lot of the things, I mean, you've heard a lot of discussion today and you're about security. So we want a secure system. We want an elastic system. Uh, we want an existing system. It's dem been demonstrated to be successful in other similar instances. Uh, it's got to be modern, have responsive design. Because today, if we look at our, our website today is not responsive, uh, but over 50% of our web traffic is from an iOS device. And so people are, you know, there's... Anyway, uh, they're feeling, figuring out how to navigate all that. So there's a bunch of base-level generic things that uh, I don't think are a surprise to anybody, and they're not secret. I mean, I was just going to go with that. You were going to say, like, we're looking for a vendor who's, like, got a caring attitude. And then you got to go on a whole Kenny and I, we're not the caring type. That's not us. <laughs> this is, no, no. Daryl, fill, fill in the caring for us. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, I think we look for – genuine relationships that are in it for the long term and not just a, I'm looking for the sale now or whatever. And I, I have a recent example of uh, a vendor partner that I've communicated with for a long time and a couple examples actually where, but you know, nothing has ever happened, but, and there's never been any sort of pressure or anything. And then the timing was right and it did. And I felt, you know, really comfortable with that vendor because of that. And then the other thing I say a lot is we value value. So I think what we look for is somebody that is going to partner with us, that is going to get in the weeds with us and be committed to making sure that it is successful because we need the help, right? We just, we don't need just a great product. We need somebody in there with it because like we've all said, we're short staffed, you know, we, we can't keep up. We need a vendor partner that is going to be there in the weeds with us, holding our hand saying, we are committed to making this successful with you. I love it. John, are we still friends? Like, give me this eye look. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, no, it's all good. Okay. Uh, it's all good. I mean, we'll talk uh, later. It's all. I'm going to hide behind we, Mike. We want to, we want a partnership too. I mean, that's, that's the only way. And if you're, I mean, to Daryl's point, I mean, that's the way state sales work, though, right? I mean, our, we are two-year budget cycles. Everything here is long-term. It's it's yeah. it's not a 
you can't often just go buy some <laughs> unless it's less than fifty thousand dollars. Then, <laughs> but outside of that, just a then, fact. Just it, a fact. It, it is. That's a that's a state procurement fact. But yeah, but outside of that, then absolutely. I love it. Okay, so is there just one more short question, or we're gonna close? We're gonna close this. Yeah, Kendra, let's go. What do you think is the most challenging part of your jobs? You have very different agencies that you serve. And what do you think is the most gratifying part of your job? I can say mine real quick. For me, in terms of being Chief Process Improvement Officer, the most challenging part of my job is getting folks to realize that they have opportunities to improve that we can improve our existing processes, that we can be more efficient. Um, that's the most challenging part. But guess what? It's the most enjoyable part as well, because when they have the realization that we can make things more efficient and it doesn't take away from the joy that they have in their role and they're still excited about it, that's the, the best part for me. Yeah. So challenging to me is just uh, keeping up with the pace of change, right? And how quickly technology changes and like we are always behind the customer like, is what it feels like to me. The customer is always coming to us and saying, when are we going to be able to do this? And we're trying to make sure we roll it out smoothly and securely in the right way. And, and as, as somebody that is super passionate about customer service, that drives me crazy. And I tell them that like it's killing me that we are not keeping up with uh, the demand and, and the pace of change. So that to me is the most challenging the most rewarding is just, you know, I, I always say I'm really more, I think, a, a leader than a technologist. And that's how I kind of got into this. But it's just the the leadership things, just seeing staff grow um, and develop and, and move up um, and customer feedback, just getting good customer feedback is like two things that I find really rewarding. So what I always say, Daryl, we got to keep digging ditches. You want a shovel or a backhoe? That's our job. I mean, that's our job is to get the backhoe. I mean, I would easy uh, technical and process debt are by far and away the biggest challenges. TDLR has nine systems that all do the same thing. They spread across a technology stack that includes Access, FileMaker Pro, uh, and some other ones you've never heard of. And so that's that's a difficult world to live in. Um, and then for me, definitely, I, I never intended to be a public servant. Fell in love with it at uh, TWC, and it's absolutely I love uh, I love my job. Awesome. Well, thank you all for serving. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from techtables.com, and you're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.